Thanks for joining us this week on NFD SDN Reality Check. This week we will look at OPNFE gaining a new members and a director, Alcatel Lucent gaining its cloud band ecosystem program, Argus Insight report on NFE and SDN Mindshare, and Overture talking NFE challenges, and NetAmerica walks us through how NFE works. Today's episode is brought to you by JMA Wireless, connecting the mobile world. Thanks again for joining us this week. I'm Dan Meyer, Editor-in-Chief of RCR Wireless News and host of our weekly NFV SDN Reality Check show. In top news this week, the Linux Foundation's open platform for NFV project welcomed new members in Korea Telecom, SK Telecom, Spirant, and Xilinx, pushing the organization's total member count to 49. OP NFE launched in September with a focus on working with upstream projects to coordinate continuous integration and testing while filling development gaps. The project is set to initially work on building NFE infrastructure and virtualized infrastructure management tapping into existing open source components. OP NFE also this week named Heather Kirksey as its new director, having previously worked at open source organizations including ODB, as well as with established telecom players like Octal Lucent and the broadband form. Speaking of organizations, Alcatel Lucent announced this week that Contron has joined its CloudBand ecosystem program, which is focused on deploying NFV-based solutions. In joining the program, Contron said it is looking to increase the appeal of its SimCloud series hardware platform to service providers adopting the CloudBand architecture. Alcatel Lucent initially launched the program in late 2013, noting it was looking to accelerate the development and adoption of NFV by allowing developers and vendors to actually test apps within a simulated cloud environment before putting them on a service provider's network. Also this week, Argus Insights released a report showing that SDN maintained a healthy mindshare for NFV during the past two months. Citing data collected from blogs, message boards, Facebook, and Twitter, the firm noted that relative mindshare reflects the expected revenue growth over the next two to three years. So if you're in a dogfight over the SDN and NFV mindshare race, make sure to hit those message boards. While NFV may be, tra may be trailing SDN in terms of mindshare, vendors are aggressively working on advancing NFV in the market. I recently spoke with Preysen Pate, CTO at Overture, for some of the challenges the market is facing and how they're tackling those issues. I started off by asking Preysen about the importance of auto-scaling in terms of NFV deployments. Absolutely right. So it's not just an auto scale, but if you think about dynamic creation, I mentioned the Internet of Things. One of the things that's attractive about virtualization as a means to provide carrier services or communication services to support IoT is the fact that you can minimize your upfront investment in terms of capital and operation and OPEX spending. Because part of the, the thing right now is they don't really know what kind of services are going to be yeah. desired, what people are going to pay for it, so they're, they're concerned about spending too much money ahead of time with virtualized solutions running on standard infrastructure, they minimize the cost of that. So they can spin up services on demand or in a very short period of time. They can scale those services and then they can make uh, other changes, uh, migrate, sell down, uh, recover from faults, whatever. 
so there's there's two challenges there. One is the, the the virtualized function has to be scalable. We've been doing some work with MetaSwitch on the Clearwater IMS, and that is a horizontally scalable application. So that's the first step. But once you have that application, you have to have a way to tie it into the rest of the infrastructure, as well as things like policy. Just because you can scale a virtual function doesn't mean you should. Do you have available resources? If it's for an end user, have they signed up? for a service that supports auto-scaling, have they committed to where they're going to pay for it if they do scale up? So there's a lot of, of additional connections that have to be made, and we're starting to provide some of those connections with applications like our Ensemble Service Intelligence. It makes sense. And also, you kind of that this is kind of this, uh, this legacy uh, systems that are out there, these brownfield, I guess is a word. You know, the fact that operators do have, you know, they've spent the past 30 years uh, acquiring a lot of hardware into their networks that uh, they can't just turn off tomorrow. Uh, you know, when they move to virtualization, these are these are platforms and boxes that they're going to try to support for years and years, kind of going forward. So it is it does seem like a challenge for these virtualized companies uh, or providers and vendors is to be able to support those legacy systems uh, while at the same time kind of moving forward with the new system. So it does seem like there's going to be this kind of transition period of two, three, four, five years where uh, you guys are really going to be probably challenged probably more than than you will down the line even because you have to kind of support what's already there and then what's also coming too. Well, it's critically important that we do that. I, you know, Dan, I do a fair amount of speaking in front of uh, panels and conferences and that type of thing, and here's a surefire way to tell who the operators are in the audience. I say we talk about supporting the legacy part of the network. Well, let me tell you, the legacy part of the network is the revenue-generating part of the network. And then all the operators will start nodding their heads up and down. You can tell who they are. And, and that's the point. It's not a matter of choice. That's how they're driving revenue. That's the infrastructure that's out there. So any solution has to be able to leverage that existing infrastructure while at the same time laying the groundwork for forward evolution. Given our expertise in the edge of the network, that's, that's the experience, the knowledge, and honestly the customers. I mentioned early on the secret weapon of our customers. Well, that's something that a lot of these new entrants to the market don't have. They don't have the customers. They can't go in and have this discussion about what is your strategy for rolling out virtualization and SDN. Where are you going to spend the money? What are the key applications? We have those discussions with people who are our current customers. So that's a very valuable way to make sure that what we're delivering is what they, they need. Gotcha, gotcha. And again, now when you're talking to these customers, uh, it does seem like in the telecom space at least, you know, NFV and virtualization, you know, 2014 was probably a big year for that, at least announcement-wise. Uh, it seems like most of the operators now have at least some sort of plan on what they're going to do when it comes to virtualization, maybe some a little more advanced than others. Uh, but when you're going out there talking to some of these customers, I mean, what are you seeing, or, or I guess what do you see as kind of maybe the, some of the bigger challenges that you're, that the market's going to have to face when it comes to, you know, kind of pushing virtualization into these and, and established telecom operators' networks? There, there are some big challenges, Dan. Probably the very biggest one is performance. It, it's great to talk about putting functions that were previously in appliances, putting those in software running on open servers. Virtualization works very well for applications. Today's technology is pretty rotten when it comes to things like packet forwarding. So there's some interesting things that are going on with, for example, Intel has with their uh, data plane development kit or DPDK for accelerating. And we at Overture have been doing quite a bit, and some of that will be reflected in our ensemble carrier Ethernet, which is our virtualization program. But that's probably the biggest aspect that people are struggling with is performance. And we, we've shown some pretty interesting performance figures that make a lot of this practical for our customers. Uh, the next one is orchestration. You have a lot of people moving in the space that either were taking their existing intellectual property, and that would be companies like a Cisco or a Juniper and Alcatel, a virtualized 
the environment. Or you have some entrants into the market, people like HP and Brocade that were not traditionally known for being routing vendors, now have virtualized router solutions. They, they're attacking that network element, that virtual network function aspect, but then how do you spin that up? How do you connect it to the rest of the network? So that's an area that Overture spent quite a bit of effort in, and now we're seeing some recognition for our ensemble service orchestration. And one of the key things that we tackled there was the uniting of cloud and connect, because services don't start in the cloud. Services start at the edge of the network. So what we're able to do is make that between the metro Ethernet access part of the network and the virtualized resources so that you can create an actual virtualized solution. And kind of the last piece is the one we've already talked about, and that's the, the tying into today's IT systems. So if you can solve this performance problem, if you can solve this orchestration problem, and you can connect to today's IT systems, then you can unblock deployments and, and make NFB real. And, that, and we think this year, you said 2014, there was a lot of work and a lot of announcements. We think 2015 is when NFB becomes real. And we're seeing that our aggressive, especially our aggressive tier two, or looking tier two operators, are looking to roll out services in the first half of, of 2015. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously the performance part of it. I mean, you know, operators, uh, they have, you know, hundreds of millions of customers out there, and their networks are already kind of, you know, stretched in a lot of, lot of instances. So, yeah, I mean, bringing anything on board that could perhaps degrade their performance to any extent at all uh, is probably a no-go or a non-starter for those guys. So it seems like that performance part of it is going to be key uh, for these guys to at least gain some... Uh, uh, some some confidence in, in this move towards virtualization. That's going to be a, obviously a big challenge for, for everybody out there. Yep, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, now you mentioned too. I mean, again, there's a lot of new companies it seems, or or maybe companies that are changing uh, what they've done in the past, like you guys, for instance, uh, in this space. So it seems like you know for for virtualization to really take off, though, that there needs to be a lot of uh, cooperation, perhaps behind the scenes, because again, this is going to be you know software, a lot of it open source, hopefully, uh, that will allow. Uh, you know, operators to kind of deploy this, you know, across their networks fairly easily, you know, not, not necessarily a plug, a plug and play, but a uh, pretty easy installation. Uh, are you finding companies involved that are coming on board with this are, uh, are open to kind of this collaboration and, and are you seeing, I guess, a lot of, a lot of this work where, where companies who are traditionally very competitive with each other and maybe trying to hide some of their, their secret sauce uh, are, are, are able to kind of maybe work together a bit more on, on, on I guess, advancing uh, virtualization in the network? We are absolutely seeing that, and we're seeing it not only among the suppliers, but the most astounding thing is we're seeing it with the operators. In the past, operators only wanted to look at products that were completely released, tested, and preferably have been deployed in 10 other networks. They were trying to minimize their risk and the effort that they put into it. Now we're seeing that operators recognize that they want these open solutions. They want mix and match parts. That means they have to engage with ecosystems of partners and they have to engage before products and especially software is completely released. So we're seeing now operators being much more aggressive in terms of looking at products early on, participating with the in terms of developing it. And I mentioned a couple of times some of the openness that we've incorporated into our ensemble open surface architecture. Part of that is to enable our customers to do their own application development or tie these systems into their own systems, doing their own work. So they may engage with us to help with that, but they are now enabled to do it on their own. So they recognize that they have to engage and they're doing it. Is another thing that's, that's astounding is the degree which we're seeing participation from the IT and operations groups in early discussions in some of these technology. Where in the past, you would only be working with the engineering or CTO groups. Now, all involved. And this, this is showing that they recognize that they have to change how they work from the old pipeline waterfall method to 
more modern methods like Agile and, and DevOps. So we're seeing openness with the operators. We're seeing openness with the suppliers. We at Overture have announced our Harmony program, and we've announced a dozen or so participants in that. But one interesting note is we're not supplying any of the virtual network functions system except for our Layer 2 VNF. All of the other ones, routing, firewall, SBC, IMS, deep packet inspection, all of those are coming from our partners, and that's a, a very strong proof point of how important openness is for us, but this is really just us reflecting back what we're hearing from the customers, our customers, about the need for interoperable solutions. So the operators are saying that's what they want, their behaviors are reflecting that, and the suppliers are hearing it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and obviously you kind of bring the fact that there are these ecosystems kind of forming out there, whether they're, some of them are kind of maybe a vendor systems like what you guys are providing with the Harmony platform, but also there's other ones, open source ones out there, OPNFE, uh, Open Daylight, various ones that are kind of come on board over the past uh, 12 to 18 months. How important are those types of ecosystems in advancing uh, NFV and virtualization? And is there any sort of chance, I guess, because, I mean, it seems like there are so many of these popping up that perhaps that the, that the whole pie is being sliced so thin that it could uh, maybe lead to maybe down the road uh, maybe some, some issues in trying integrating everything back together. Um, I guess how are these things working together, and is there any concern about you know the fact that at the end of the day uh, that there could be maybe some some issues down the road you know when it comes to making it all again come back as a whole pie as opposed to a bunch of slices of pie? Well, I mean that is a valid concern, and first let me say that I, I would like to recognize the work of the Etsy NFB ISG in terms of the work they've done in trying to lay out some some not requirements but some specifications and most importantly some terminology. Mm -hmm. Before the Etsy uh, NFV ISG got going there was not a clear consensus on what we meant by a VNF or by MANO or by orchestration or some of those other terms. So just having come up with the reference diagram has been invaluable. But now at the next step I think is as important or more important perhaps in the standards groups are the real world experience that we're going to start to collect by taking some of this from the lab into the network. If you think about the evolution of what went on in the cloud, a lot of it was driven by the, the work, the development of, of getting cloud as a, uh, the different flavors of cloud, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, getting those working and then stepping back and saying, okay, let's codify some of this into something like OpenStack. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the mode going forward where a lot of the, the best input is going to come is real-world experience that then gets captured into standards or preferably open-source software implementation. That, that's where you really know that you've got agreement when people are using a common set of code that is being maintained and, and evolved by a group in the community and reflecting the real-world learnings of deployments. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and like you said too, I mean, it's been amazing how just kind of watching uh, this space evolved over the past, you know, yeah, 12 to 18 months. I mean, it's a lot of work has already been done. It definitely seems like a lot of work still needs to be done, but it's happening, it seems, at such a rapid pace uh, that, like you said, I mean, 2015 could indeed be a pretty big year for, for NFV, considering it's, you know, still relatively new, at least in the telecom space uh, technology. It's, it's just impressive to see how quickly it's all been kind of running together here. So it's, uh, it's been exciting to watch. It is, and but I think, uh, let, let me warn you that you'll start to see, as we roll some of this out to the network, you'll see some reports of, oh, uh, there's there's issues and there's trouble and there's heartbreak and and that's all absolutely true and and that's what happens anytime you take a new technology out into the network, but then shortly after that when the pioneers start to resolve those issues and see the real world benefits coming from that, we'll resume the the upward trajectory. So prepare yourself for some some uh, 
uh, warnings of, of disaster with NFV, but then realize that people are working through those. Yeah, well, that's always important for us in the press to realize that there will be these things, and not to hype them too much. But uh, that's a good point. You're right. There will be challenges, as always, always are. I mean, that's that's part of the part of the game. But uh, well, it's a good. Point. Well, hey, Prayson, we definitely appreciate the insight today, and thanks for the update on what you guys have been doing there. And hopefully, we can touch uh, touch base again soon as as this exciting market evolves and maybe tackles uh, all the challenges coming up too. We definitely appreciate the time today. It's been my pleasure, Dan. All right, thanks. Great insight there from Prayson at, uh, at Overture. Thanks again for the for the time with him to th this week as well. Uh, well, finally, uh, Eli Copian, who's the SVP at uh, Net America Alliance, provided RCR Wireless News' How It Works program with an in-depth look at how NFV works, which I will now steal from my own. What I wanted to do is just a quick... Uh, NFV 101. So this is an x86 Intel platform. These are individual boxes. So this is hardware. And at the end of the day, for everything that we talk about, everything still relies on hardware. But then what we do with this hardware is we add some kind of hypervisor. And uh, there's many of those. So your hypervisor allows you to manage this and decouple it from hardware. And then we have the different OS's on top of this. So we are going to have individual OS's, and that's what the hypervisor allows us to do. And this can be Linux, this can be Windows, you know, this can be some kind of uh, VxWorks. And then on top of this, we have the application. So once we do this, On top, we're able to do what is commonly referred to as network function virtualization. Because the application in this case could be any part of the network. So this app could be uh, a load balancer. So if you have a load balancer, or you have obviously a web server, or you could have a BSS OSS. So you could have your BSS and your OSS. And then you could have your provisioning system here as well. Now, now getting to the point, if we keep extending this out, that we are now having uh, VPN applications. And we have router applications. And we have you know, anything that's part of the network, literally, soft switches. So we have soft switches. Everything that used to be a box, everything that used to be provided by an independent vendor, the integration was a nightmare because now you had to deal with so many different. But now, for example, with OpenStack or with any other one of the open source systems out there, all the communication is being handled through XML, through an API. And that is where the beauty and the migration is happening because now we have APIs, and this is where all the developers are focusing on now because we know that the API is king because if you develop a good API, then you can use it for anything. So this is the basics of network function virtualization. It is taking what used to be a lot of different boxes from a lot of many vendors requiring in a large network like where we have in, in uh, NetAmerica, 
uh, millions of dollars to integrate. I mean, the cost of the hardware is really irrelevant almost because the integration costs are so high. So this is what we're doing with network function virtualization. Right now, many of these are in private clouds, but there's definitely operations that are moving over to the public cloud. So when you move to the public cloud, then you have uh, vendors that are doing some costs per CPU that are so cost effective that people like me who are looking to scale and reduce cost and make the market go faster because we have to deliver products quicker. NFE 101. And now you know how it all works, so great. Well, again, thanks everyone for joining us for this week's NFE SDN Rally Check, and make sure to check us out again next week. Thanks.